Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. The next passage comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15, and this can be found on page 1022 in your pew Bibles. Two Thessalonians chapter three verses uh, six to fifteen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary. We worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, 7pm. Great to be with you again. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at church. And this year is our year of goodness, the goodness of God. And so throughout the school holidays, we're spending some time thinking about the good life, how to live the good life. And today we're looking at the important topic of work. Work. Do you know this? On average, you will spend... 90,000 hours at work, 90,000 hours, a third of your life will be spent at work. Now, that's not including commuting. And I know many of you work longer than the average hours. That is not including those hours either. So much time spent at work. And so given that we're going to spend so much time in our lives working, Isn't it right that we spend some time thinking, how can I make sure my work is meaningful? How can I make sure my work matters? That's our question tonight. Perhaps you're here and you love your job. You wake up in the morning, can't wait to get to work. It's great, good on you. (laughs) But I suspect most people find work sometimes boring or perhaps it doesn't fulfill Or perhaps there's times when you think, I'm just in this for the paycheck. That's it. It's funny, the Bible talks a lot about work. Paul was a tent maker. 
Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And yet, in churches, often we don't talk about it. We don't talk about how our Sunday affects our Monday. How our Sunday, how our, how our faith impacts every part of our lives, including our work. But before we move forward, I, I just want to clarify what we mean by the word work. There are people in this room with all kinds of fantastic paid jobs. I met someone this morning with the coolest job ever. He works in animation for Marvel. And he designed the spider suit for Spider-Man. Pretty cool, right? Uh, that's a cool job. And, and I know there's plenty of people in this room who are uh, teachers, who are nurses. I mean, it's curability, so every second person is in finance or law or something like that. <laughs> um, but there are also people in our church, and perhaps you deny it, and you're not in a paid job. And you see, a job is different to work. For most of us, our work is our jobs. We're being paid for the work that we do. But there are all kinds of work that we're called to and we're not paid. Classic example is the stay-at-home parent. That's hard work. That is hard work. And I know talking to many parents, particularly stay-at-home mums, they feel the social pressure. Why haven't you, when are you going to go back to work? When are you going to go back to paid work? As though they're not working hard at home. And so that's work. The stay-at-home dad, the stay-at-home mum, students, if you're a student here, you're working hard. Well, I, it, you're meant to be. <laughs> um, my first degree, my, I, was, I did an arts degree. And anyway, um, <laughs> you're meant to be working hard. You're not getting paid. Those of you who might be retired, any person I speak, speak to who's retired, they tell me they're working harder than they were beforehand. Because you can do all kinds of valuable things with your time after you're retired. Volunteers, you can work hard for all kinds of causes. And so work, it is more than just our paid job. As we talk tonight about work, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the plumber. I'm talking about the concrete layer or the actor or the, the teacher or the accountant. But we're also talking about all kinds of callings that God calls us to, which may not be paid, but they're still work. So how can we think about what God has to say about our work? What does God have to say? I've got four points for us tonight. And the first one is this, the goodness of work. Our work is good. Our work is good. If you won $150 million in the lottery today, would you go to work tomorrow? Okay, you'd probably take a day off. <laughs> um, or maybe you take a week off, but would you ever go back to work again? My guess is a lot of you have thought to yourself, wouldn't it be great to never have to work again? How good would that be? That's the culture we, we live in. We, we, we work so that we can rest on the weekend, as opposed to resting so that we can be recharged to work. See the way it shifts, how you think about it? We live in a society where we want to Retire as soon as possible so that we can stop working. As though work is a bad thing. But in the Bible, work is good. In the beginning, God worked. God worked. He created the world. 
and it was good. He worked. It was easy for him. He just spoke, and the world was created. It'd be pretty good if you could get your job done just by speaking. For him, it was pretty effortless, but he worked, and he is still working today. He is sustaining our world, upholding our world, and holding it all together. And here's the thing. God has made you and I in his image. Humans are made to be like God, who is a worker. But look on the screen, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God makes humans in his image with a task to work, to rule over this world. The next chapter, Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That word work, it's developing, it's tending to something, it's producing something. And taking care, it's conserving. So you and I have been given a calling to produce and to conserve and protect. We are workers. God's designed a world that needs humans to develop it. See, Christians, Christians are often given the perspective, uh, get the opinion that the only reason your work is valuable is so that you can earn money to feed your family, earn money to give to the church, and so that you can tell your friends about Jesus at work. Now, all those are good things. It's important that we earn money to provide for our family. It's important that we, we give to God's ministry. Otherwise, how would ministry be funded? Uh, it's important that we share Jesus in our workplace. We're all called to do that. But there is more to the value of our work than just that. Our work is good. Do you believe that? Maybe you feel like your job is nothing impressive, nothing flashy, but it matters in the eyes of God. It really does. Tomorrow as you go into the classroom to teach those kids, as you meet with that client, as you write that piece of music, as you work with that patient, as you lead that staff team or design that product, whatever it is, you are representing God. You are displaying who God is. By using the gifts he's given you, you are magnifying him and serving him and living out your calling as a human in God's good world. I hope you believe that. Your work, paid or unpaid, whatever it is, it is, it's good. But I'm sure I don't have to convince you that it doesn't always feel good. That's our second point, the grind of work. The grind of work. How often do you hear work talked about as the daily grind? You hear people say, thank God it's Friday. Because work, I mean, it, we feel the brokenness of work, don't we? And that is because of sin. Just a chapter after God gave this beautiful picture of work, sin entered the world. 
Humanity rejected God and his goodness, ignored him, rebelled, disobeyed him. And this world is broken by the curse of sin. This world is not as it should be. It is tainted. And it is true clearly in our work. In Genesis chapter 3, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you eat food from it all the days of your life. Our work is under the curse of sin. You ever feel bored in your job? You ever go about your work and feel tired? You ever go about your work and feel unproductive? Feel like it's pointless? That's the impact of sin. This uh, last few weeks, we've seen a paramedic going about their job and tragically shot to death. We hear of benchtop workers who make in our kitchens and they're getting lung disease. We're seeing dodgy builders who build houses not according to the right codes and the houses fall down. A few years ago, it was revealed that Volkswagen had produced 11 million vehicles with software in it that lied. They were bragging that they were a really clean energy company, but the pollution that these cars were producing was 40 times the legal limit. And um, it, it's been well established now that clearly a lot of people were in on it. You see, sin, the brokenness of our work, can even, can even affect whole companies. Today in our workplaces, power is abused. People are disrespected. Maybe you've seen people be marginalized or spoken over or undervalued. And there are people here tonight, I'm sorry to say, your job wouldn't exist if it wasn't for sin. If you're a lawyer here, I'm sorry. If you're a prison guard or a security guard or a, or a doctor, I mean, your jobs are good now because they're... they're, they're restraining the impact of sin. But if it wasn't for sin, you'd, be, you'd never have the job in the first place. That's a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean our jobs right now or our work is not good. It is still good. It is just fractured. It is tainted. It is fallen. And so it means 7 p.m., though, as we go about our work, we go into it with eyes open because we know that it's never going to fulfill. And so many people look to their work to fulfill them. Only God can fulfill. We, we, we can't look to our work to fulfill us. I mean, a few hundred years ago, if you asked someone who'd inherited the family trade if their job fulfilled them, they'd look at you with a puzzled look. Such a modern concept of wanting fulfillment from our jobs. That's why we change jobs every seven years, I think the research says. No, our work will never fulfill us. Only God will. Our work will not fulfill us because it is broken. I think we see it clearly in, in two extremes. I wonder which one of these two extremes you tend towards. I think we all tend towards one. The first one is laziness. Laziness. We heard that first reading. Uh, the book of Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. And the writer says, you want to be wise in your work, look at the ant. Look at the ant. Ants are hard workers. You ever seen a little ant carrying 
a little a piece of bread on its back. It's like 20 times the size of its body. And it works so hard and it gets the job done. They're ants, they work so hard, they plan, they store up food in the winter to provide through the stuff in the summer to provide through the winter. But by contrast, the sluggard, the lazy person, who just says, ah, just one more Netflix episode. I just press the snooze alarm once again. A little bit more rest. And poverty is coming on them, that passage says. It's so easy to want to cut corners in our work, isn't it? want to do the least amount of work possible, to waste the time of our employers. But as Christians, we must not be like that. We must not, because we serve the Lord Jesus. So if you're a sluggard here in the room or have sluggard tendencies, I encourage you to, to, to repent and ask for God's forgiveness and ask him to change you. That's the first extreme. The second extreme, being a workaholic. Perhaps that's you. Uh, There's nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with working hard. But a workaholic is someone who works nonstop, doesn't rest, and sacrifices their health and their family and their relationship with God at the altar of their work. Now, God, he worked, and what did he do? He rested. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for you. Maybe sometimes, I think sometimes we, we, we work as a workaholic because we're anxious. I need to, I need to work hard because if I don't, I'm not going to get this promotion and then I can't provide for my family. Or we work because we want significance. I need to work hard so that I get the promotion and then I'll really matter and my parents will be happy. You know, God loves us regardless of what we achieve. You believe that? God loves you regardless of what you accomplish. He sent his son for you. While you were still a sinner, he saved you. He's called you his child. And so you can trust him with your work. You can truly rest and trust God that he is holding all things in his loving and mighty hands. Take some rest. And trust it to God. Often workaholics make work an idol. It's when you take a good thing, like work. It's good, but you make it the, the ultimate. Make it the ultimate thing. That's the place only God belongs. And I encourage you, plead with you, to make God your identity, not your work. I think... People uh, speak to in church who have experienced unemployment by surprise. It is always hard. It is always hard. But the ones who've built their identity on their work, well, then it destroys them when they lose their job. But people who've built their identity on Jesus, yes, unemployment is still hard, it always, but they're not shattered. Because nothing can shake who they are in Christ. 
And so in Proverbs, if we want to be wise, it's avoiding the sin of laziness. It's avoiding the sin of being a workaholic, I think. And it is living the wise life. So sin has corrupted our world and corrupted our work. I want to say, if you have, we're all sinners. I'm going to bet that all of us have done things in our work that we are ashamed of. Done things in our work that we know we're not loving to others and didn't honor God. Or seen things done and sat passively by. And you know, God's forgiveness applies to your work as well. God's forgiveness applies to your work as well. He loves you. He's full of grace and compassion. He is ready to forgive you. So if work is good, but work is also a grind and fallen, how then should we work as God's people in 2023? That's our third point, the goal of work. Because we know Jesus. It should transform every part of our life, shouldn't it? Do you remember last week we were looking at how Jesus is on the throne, which means every part of our life should come under his lordship. We should bow our knee with every part of our lives. Often we say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life, every part of it, except the nine to five. I don't really see how you're relevant there. Actually, you know, when you go about your work, paid or unpaid, you, you're not ultimately serving your boss. You're not ultimately serving your company. You ultimately... You ultimately serve the Lord Jesus. He is the one that we live for. Out of great thanks for what he has done for us, we joyfully want to bow our knee. Colossians 3, it's on the screen. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human desires. See, that's what we're called to do. Honor God. Bow our knee. Bring him praise. Jesus says there's two commands, the two greatest commands. Honor God and love our neighbor. This is the first one. Honor God in our work. Bow our knee. Martin Luther, he once came across two bricklayers. Two bricklayers laying bricks. And he goes up to the first one and he says, what are you doing? And the bricklayer responds, I'm laying bricks. What does it look like? Goes up to the second bricklayer, asks the same question, what are you doing? And this one responds, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Two people doing the same job, but one of them has a perspective of how that job brings the glory and honor to God that he is worthy of. Friends, as you go about your work, seek to bring honor and praise to your creator. In your attitudes, your motivations, by being a faithful presence 
shining his character of compassion and love and mercy and justice in your workplace or your home and seeking to obey him above all else. It might look like delivering an expense report. And in that expense report, there are no lies. It might look like you're in the team meeting and you're okay if someone else gets more praise than you. You're humble. It might look like not overcharging because God says don't steal. Maybe you work in communication and you want to honor God, the God of truth, by making sure everything you communicate is true and not distorted and not deceptive. Maybe it means that in the lunchtime chat, you're, you're not engaging in the vulgar conversations and the office gossip. Maybe you get a, a pay rise that you didn't expect or a bonus and you're thinking, well, how can I honor God with the money that I've earned? Maybe you are prone to anger or you, you work in an angry workplace and you seek to model God's patience by being slow to anger. You might even have to do the tricky thing of standing up to a boss or a supervisor because you are seeing something unethical. And it will be hard and it's not simple, but you serve a greater master. I think one of the key ways we can honour God is just by doing our work well. Jesus was a carpenter. Do you think Jesus ever did dodgy carpentry work? I don't think so. I don't think so. Here's a great quote from Dorothy Sayers. She says, No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. We honour God by doing our job well. Now, I just want to make a little comment. Every Christian works for the king. Every Christian works to honour God. But not every Christian works in kingdom work. What's kingdom work? It's what we might call ministry. Now, we're all called to do ministry, but, but not everyone is paid and has that as their vocation, ministry. Now, I've made, we've, we've seen very clearly that all work is valuable. We honour the king in every role that we're in. And we should never get the impression that those who are in ministry or ministers are some kind of uh, on a higher tier than everyone else who's just a pleb and is doing, you know, ordinary jobs. No, every work is valuable. And we work for the king. But we do need to raise up people who can enter into paid kingdom work as a, as a vocation, full-time, part-time, whatever it might be. Jesus says the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. People's eternal destinies hang in the balance. And we need people who make it their vocation to make disciples, share the gospel, pastor people, shepherd the flock. And so if that's you, perhaps maybe God is prompting you to explore that. Realize it might be a sacrifice. It might mean leaving your current career. Not that it's not valuable, but perhaps God is calling you 
Perhaps God is calling you or nudging you to explore whether this is right for you, whether this is how God has wired you. That's you. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. I'm sure Paul would love to talk to you as well and explore. Is that right for you? How can you, how can you keep discerning whether that is for you? We do not all do kingdom work in our paid vocations, but we do all serve the king. And that is our first task, honour him. But secondly, Jesus' second command, love our neighbour. Love our neighbour. How can you love people in the job that you're doing? Maybe you're a parent and you're loving your kids by changing their nappies. Maybe you are making products that really meet human needs. Maybe you're working on the metro line and you are helping people safely get to their jobs and visit their family and visit their friends. Uh, maybe you're a salesperson and you're selling products, which means money is made and so families can be provided for. I spoke to someone this morning and he was talking about how he's a lawyer and he's so appreciative that when, when, when conflicts, because, because of lawyers, conflicts aren't solved necessarily with violence. They don't have to be. There's a way to, to solve conflicts with peace. Maybe you're a boss and you can love your employees by paying them fairly or providing safe work environments. The problem with a sermon like this is everyone's got different jobs and it's impossible for me to apply these principles to everyone's different lives. But I encourage you to, to go home or in your connect groups this week and pray, God, how can I love you in my role? How can I serve you? And how can I love my neighbor and bless the world and the people around me? I think this means there are some jobs which I, I don't think Christians can do. I don't think Christians can say that this job is honoring God and loving my neighbor. If your current job is a drug dealer, I mean, you know. But I suspect for most of us, if we talked to friends or family or got wisdom, we would see and have a vision of how God is using us in our work. Well, lastly, as we finish, let's look at the future of work. The future of work. I think most Christians think, gee, I can't wait to get to heaven, then I don't have to work anymore. I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> Because work was there before sin entered the world, and so I think work will be there in eternity, in the new creation. Now, some of you, I think, will be out of a job. <laughs> you know, we're, we're afraid about artificial intelligence taking our jobs. Well, the resurrection is going to take a bunch of jobs. If you are a doctor here, I don't think you're going to need your job, right? Apologies to those of you. That's good. Lawyers, undertakers, I've got some bad news for you. But I'm sure we're all, we will all find meaningful work. And guess what? When we are with Jesus in that new creation and sin is done away with, and we are with our Savior, we will work and you'll never feel tired. You will work and it will perfectly fulfill. 
If you're an artist or a painter or a product designer, you will design something and your creative skills will be so perfect, so glorious, that the thing you create will just be amazing. And that work-life balance that we're all seeking to get, we'll have it perfectly. We will work and rest at the same time. Gee, it will be great. And in this life now, every time we experience some joy in our work or delight or satisfaction, it is just a sneak preview of the joy of work when Jesus returns in eternity. So work hard. Do you work well? You were made to work. Do it to love your neighbor and do it to bring God the honor and the praise that he so deserves. Colossians 3. Whatever you work at, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, you are good, and you hold out for us the good life, the good life of knowing you and serving you. And we pray for us as we go about our work, paid or unpaid, to bring before you in this room the people who are unemployed and looking for work, the people who are experiencing pain at work, bring before you the people who are students or volunteers or retirees or parents, bring before you the people who are working in high-up roles and perhaps roles that don't necessarily look that impressive. We pray that you would give us a vision, every single one of us, of how we can love you and serve you and love our neighbours. Take us and use us that we might honour you in every part of our life. In Jesus Christ we pray.